Welcome to the 10-Minute Medic, the podcast for busy paramedic students. This is the podcast where we take one subject, discuss it for a maximum of 10 minutes. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Young. One of the areas that's commonly failed while taking the National Registry paramedic exam is that of EMS operations. I think the problem with this is that we tend to cover EMS operations at the beginning of class, never to be mentioned again until you're sitting in front of the computer screen taking your exam. It literally becomes out of sight, out of mind. One of the things that I would suggest that you do as a good paramedic student is to periodically review the EMS operations section, in particular dealing with incident response and the level of ethicality of how you treat your patients. This week's podcast will take a look at one of those issues and focus in on what is the right time for us to not transport a patient to the hospital. I'll give you a little hint. If you'll always do what's in best interest of your patient, honestly doing what's in the best interest of your patient, you'll rarely go wrong. This podcast was recorded in April of 2019, and not long ago, the EMS world was surprised and dismayed by the report of a man who was berated and treated poorly by an EMS agency in South Carolina. According to news reports, the patient had a history of schizophrenia. However, the EMS crew, who responded to a report of him running up and down Interstate 95 while naked, ultimately released him. Four hours later, he was struck by a vehicle and killed on the highway. The incident with the paramedics showing the lack of compassion was caught on body cam video of the responding deputy. This podcast will not address the lack of compassion or professionalism shown on the video by the EMS crew. Instead, we'll take a look at some of the legal aspects of releasing patients at the scene and how to minimize your legal liability. Keep in mind, I am not an attorney, nor do I play one on television. Recently, an exciting announcement was made by Medicare. Under a new project, EMS is now going to be reimbursed for treatment without transport in certain situations. This excites me and at the same time causes me great fear. One of the areas that EMS has the dirty little secret in is that of no transport of patients who later on showed a need to be transported. Let's take a look and review the criteria under which your legal liability is minimized in doing what is best for the patient is maximized when faced with whether to transport your patient to the hospital or not. Often we use the word competency when dealing with a patient's ability to make healthcare decisions for themselves. A more accurate term would be capacity to make decisions. However, because competency is generally used and we'll be using that word, Common law within the United States holds that patients have the right of self-determination in regard to whether or not to accept medical treatment. One of the greatest and most basic rights that humans have and must be protected is that of autonomy. Autonomy can be defined as the right to make decisions that are in one's best interest. All patients are considered to have competence to make legal decisions about their care until proven otherwise. Now, in order to make those decisions, the patient has to have the right to either give or withhold consent for treatment. Any adult that has been determined to have been found competent is able to tell you whether or not they want treatment. Even further, if a patient desires to be treated, they have a right to tell you to what degree they want the treatment to continue or stop. This would include withholding of particular medicines or treatment while still accepting transport to the hospital. The challenge arises when the pre-hospital medical care is needed in patients that may or may not have the ability to understand their condition, and we're not sure if they're capable of making the best decisions about their care. The key in this doctrine of autonomy is that the patient must be competent. I wish that there was a tried and true method by which you could determine competency at all times. Unfortunately, to tell you that would be a lie. 
So how do we determine whether a patient is competent to refuse treatment and or transport? Well, beginning with the very basics, is your patient awake and alert? Now it's important to remember that being awake is not the same thing as being alert. Some of the factors that you must take into consideration when dealing with patient competency to refuse treatment should often include involving the patient's family when available to determine to the degree to which the patient is acting normal. Keep in mind that your patient's family can become your greatest ally or your worst enemy in the treatment of the patient. Now we spent some time on the legal aspects of patient competency, let's turn to the clinical side of it. As stated earlier, the determination of competence is not a science, but more of an art. It's important to take into consideration the values and culture of the patient when trying to determine this. Competence can be influenced in a negative way by the presence of dementia, delirium, alcohol, and or drugs. However, it's important to remember that simply because a patient smells of alcohol it does not mean that they're incompetent to make their own decisions. In the paramedic's action of determining competence, the history is often the most important tool that we have and must be the place where we first begin. As discussed earlier, determining a patient's normal baseline is critical. The second step is to explore whether or not any change in the patient's cognitive ability is related to a reversible cause. All patients, and I mean all patients, who exhibit a change in a level of cognition should get a finger stick glucose to check for hypoglycemia. Feel free to listen to an earlier 10-minute podcast entitled You're So Sweet on the approach that the paramedic should take with a diabetic patient. If you determine that the impairment is not going to improve, your next step should be to find out if it's getting worse as well as to what degree the impairment has on your patient's decision-making ability. Make sure that you're able to differentiate between a patient with dysphagia or difficulty in speaking from the one who is speaking gibberish. The stroke patient will often have some problems in speaking clearly, but will retain the ability to make cognitive medical decisions. A mnemonic that can be helpful in doing a detailed assessment on the mental competency of a patient is ASSET, A-S-S-E-T. A is for appearance, S is for speech, S is for sensorial, E is for emotional state, and T is for thought process. Let's take a deeper dive at each of these. Look at the appearance of your patient. Although each patient will have a different socioeconomic status, and don't let this bias your assessment, look at how they're dressed as well as their personal hygiene. If the patient is disheveled, explore the reasons why. Speech should be assessed for proper pronunciation as well as normal patterns. S also stands for sensorial. Does your patient know where they are, the time of the day, things like that? One word of caution here. Be wary of asking any patient, regardless of their chief complaint, what time of day it is if you respond to them after midnight. Even the best of us will have a challenge in answering that question we've been awakened in the middle of the night. Is their emotional state appropriate for the moment? Does the patient seem depressed or in a state of mania? Lastly, look at the thought process. Ask them simple questions that they should be able to answer, such as, who is the president and what is two plus two and the like. Is it possible that a patient with dementia could still be able to make some or all of their medical decisions? Well, the short answer is yes. A patient with diagnosis of dementia may require the paramedic to take a much closer look and evaluation at the mental status of him, but each situation is different. Take an individual approach in each of these situations so that you may deal fairly and compassionately with each patient and their family. If you have any doubt as to the patient's capacity for decision-making, 
default in the conservative approach. This, however, must be done in conjunction with the patient's family as well as from the point of well-being for the patient. In an article from the StatPearls website, Liam Goldstein suggested the following regarding the decision-making criteria for patients. The patient must have sufficient information from the provider regarding the medical condition and the associated risk to his health in person. The patient must understand that a decision has to be made. The patient must understand the risks, burdens, and benefits of all options, including that of doing nothing. The patient must be able to use the information to make a decision in the setting of his values and belief systems. The patient must be able to communicate his choice to the provider, and they must be acting without coercion or undue influence, including from family, friends, or even you as the provider. It is the responsibility of the emergency responder to identify loss of capacity for medical decision-making. It is not the patient's responsibility to prove that they retain such capacity. You can find the full citation and the full article in the show notes. In conclusion, taking the approach that you will do the very best for your patients is the best route of care for them, as well as the best source of legal protection for yourself. You're going to wind up on a video on the internet. Why not make it for some form of compassion and outstanding care for your patient? Thanks again for joining the 10-Minute Medic. I'm excited about our next topic as it was chosen by their request from the paramedic students at Arkansas State University. Our next two sessions will address EMS interactions with autistic patients. The first one will deal with what autism is, and the second will provide some methods of dealing with these patient interactions. The best way to ensure that you hear these and all future episodes is to follow our podcast on your favorite player. Thanks again for listening.